This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And speaking of the union, Jay, we are proud to have another member of that union joining us. This is a... uh, uh, a member who has been with us for a while now, and we rely on them to bring us music from a particular part of the uh, world. If you look at their previous picks, you'll notice they have a, a regionality to them, a, a similarity in terms of their continent. Speaking, of course, of Darren Leach. Welcome back, Darren. Thank you, guys. Good to be back. And it's good to spread the um, Australian music word as well. It is. That's primarily that's our that's our secondary mission. Our primary mission is just '90s music, but our 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 secondary mission is Australian music because that represents probably seventy percent of the music that we have reviewed. Uh, <laughs> and selfishly for Tim and I, it's it's the stuff we haven't heard. So it's like, ooh, right, yeah, exactly. This is uh, this is pretty cool. I didn't know this existed. So I I do try and pick stuff that people will like, and especially you guys will like as well. Well, previously it was UMI and Even. We both dug the Even record, and it just so happened that when we did do that, when we, when we checked that out last year, they were putting out, a, I think, an EP last year at the same time. Wow. That's right. So it uh, it worked out. Uh, don't forget Funiscad. Oh, that's right. That's what, that was prior to uh, our visits. First one. When we were, and Jay yeah. loved that. Jay loved that record. So. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that was a uh, another one. And... Um, Tell us, I see that you're not alone. <laughs> no, so both of us are from Adelaide. So Grant, I'll let him introduce himself in a sec. But we're both from Adelaide, but we're both living in London. Yeah, we've Here's known Grant. each other for many years. Hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, we've known each other for many years. Uh, met Darren on the uh, Adelaide music scene back yeah. in the day when I was playing in bands and had a little radio show of my own for a while. And Darren had my band on quite a few times. And True, true. You know, everyone in Adelaide knows each other, so uh, it's, it was great when I ran into Darren at a Midnight Oil gig a couple of years ago. <laughs> that's true. Didn't realize he was even back. Yeah, we. That, that's true. Um, so Midnight Oil played here in June 2019, and it holds 5,000 people, and I went to pick up my ticket, and lo and behold, Grant was behind me. Like, what are <laughs> oh the my God. Like, <laughs> wow. Like, come on. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, great gig as well. <laughs> Brixton Academy can't go wrong with that. Remember gigs? Yeah, yeah, gigs. When gigs oh yeah, the, those things. <laughs> hmm. Uh, give us an idea. How big is Adelaide, like population wise? Um, I think it's about two and a half mil, including the suburbs and stuff, right? Okay. Well, no, I thought it was less. Is it less? Yeah. yeah I thought I, it was like one point three. I, I mean, I haven't looked this up in yeah. years. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say one point three. Yeah, because Perth is, I think, two point four. Okay, something like that. And then it's a small, big Mel- city. Melbourne and Sydney are around the. They're getting. They're becoming the same around six mil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, uh, but it's a very small music scene. Everyone. 
knows, knows each other. It's the fifth biggest city. So obviously the it's Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a healthy music scene. Um, you know, plenty of venues. Yeah. Um, as Grant said, everyone kind of knows each other. Um, they because, do back then. Because it is, it is a small yeah. Yeah, population. But, you know, we, we normally get all the, the, the bigger bands. You know, there's some that, that do miss us. But, you know, I've seen... Seen plenty of gigs there, a few fighters, and yeah, you know, but that was the problem, though, wasn't it? Like, bands would often miss Adelaide because Adelaide people from Adelaide are notorious for not buying tickets in advance, so promoters would often be taking a risk bringing their bands to Adelaide. Mm. So, you know, I remember seeing Ash at well, Ash in front of like at Heaven, yeah, in front of like 40 people, it was really embarrassing. It was on that third um, album third album yeah and it was such an amazing show but just no one bought tickets i couldn't believe it and then often like promoters would say okay we're doing sydney uh, brisbane melbourne and then yeah. we'll do perth as well but we'll just fly straight over adelaide yeah, that, so that we had annoying. we often had to drive to melbourne to see shows that's true i remember seeing the manic street preachers they didn't didn't come to adelaide well they did the big day out festival they didn't do their own show i wanted to see their own shows so, yeah yeah i often went to melbourne to see yeah bands yeah just to just to give you a comparison for folks in the united states uh, a city roughly that size would be like in like new orleans is around that size with it when you take into account its surrounding area or um like oklahoma city or yeah or or louisville louisville as they say down there (laughs) Uh, it's a a mid-market town yes that's what we refer to as mid-market Right, a little bit, a little bit bigger than Buffalo, a little bit smaller than, say, Austin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of that vibe. Um, yeah. So you can you can definitely have like a small scene in those types of cities, which is yeah. good and bad depending on um, where you're at in the scene, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't too competitive in Adelaide. All the bands kind of helped each other out, and it's not like what you hear about. Melbourne and Sydney where all the bands are very competitive and you know trying to make it more than the the Mm. band next to them and yeah all the Adelaide bands kind of help each other out which is good yeah and the the thing was if you wanted to make it like in a rock band indie rock band was you had to move to Melbourne I remember that yeah I remember that as an Adelaide band yeah because that's where the record companies were and you know because Sydney was more of a dance music scene yes they had their bands but Mm. I remember a lot of bands from Adelaide went to Melbourne first yeah it was the first yeah plus it was easy to get to it was like an eight-hour drive so you just pack all your stuff in the van and yeah off to melbourne there was a band from adelaide called flat stanley um and they had a song about all their friends and bands moving to melbourne and one of the lines was everyone that leaves leaves one more car parking space (laughs) i quite like (laughs) well speaking of cars sort of (laughs) nice Let's uh, let's get into the album for this episode. Uh, would you gentlemen like to reveal what we'll be checking out for this particular? I, I'm going to. People are probably going to guess this is going to be an Australian band, but which <laughs> one was picked for this episode, and and why was it picked, Darren? Oh, okay, yeah, you take this one. Okay, the band's called Ammonia. They're from Perth. '95 uh, album called Mint 400. Um, I chose it because it's it's a just a very fun record, and I, I was thinking what our listeners would like and what you guys would like. Yeah, um, I did buy this album at the time and did see them many times, 
back in the 90s because they'd play festivals and support other bands I like. And, they, you know, obviously they'd come to Adelaide. But then I didn't like it for a while. And then I've been getting back into it the last three or four years. And I just thought it'd be something that you guys would actually really like. And it's very 90s. Oh, it's yeah. such the sound of the, the quiet loud of the 90s. Exactly. It's just guitar, bass, drums, vocals. Yeah. No real overdubs to speak of. Mm. Uh, just a band in a room rocking out, really. That's it. Um, some great pop songs. Very, you know, very loud, quite loud, but... Um, S- simple formula, yeah. yeah. Guitar, bass, yeah. guitar, bass, drums. No, really no overdubs, you know, no fancy keyboards. No, that, they saved that for the second record. <laughs> and they got Dave Fridman in. But yeah, uh, so yeah, Mint 400. Um, one of my favourite albums from the 90s. And uh, I got into them when I was 12 years old. Uh, when I went in. I was a massive Silverchair fan, as anyone that was 12 years old probably was at that time. And that's the first time I saw Ammonia. And the only time I ever saw Ammonia, actually, was supporting Silverchair in 95. October 26, 95, which incidentally was 10 days after Mint 400 came out. There you go. And I remember nothing because I was too young. (laughs) (laughs) So let's a little history for the folks who are not familiar with this band. History of the band. The lineup for this album is alan balmont on drums simon hensworth on bass not helmsworth hensworth it's not one of the (laughs) helmsworths and david johnstone on guitars and vocals um it was produced by kevin shirley who has quite the um discography to his name lots of bands that that uh he's worked with and it did score a nice charting hit with um, drugs, which people probably know when they hear uh, drugs, the, the, that it gets repeated multiple times in the song. Um, released on Murmur, as you mentioned, in October of 95. We have covered the 11th Avenue av- album back in season one, probably in the first 10 episodes that was their second album, and then the band was done uh, a year after that. They were only together for about six years um, in the mid-90s. Now, here's the interesting connection to another band. Uh, so after the band breaks up, um, drummer Alan Balmont uh, went on to do tour management and uh, for a time was the... I don't know if he still is, but was the tour manager for the living end. Correct. And uh, which we, who we covered probably like three or four seasons ago. I believe he also TM'd the breeders and did, you know, international bands when they came through as well. Mm. Um, he was, you know, the TM for hire for did a lot of powder finger. I'm not sure. Or, I feel yeah. like they would have had someone. I on know board. he's no longer with uh, living the living end. Yeah. Because on, um, on YouTube, Grant sent me a link today. Uh, the Living End did a cover of Drugs. They did. Yeah. And they mentioned Jake. former tour manager. They did, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> obviously him being the uh, old previous drummer. Yeah. yeah. Case closed. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and then before this came out, there was an EP called In a Box, uh, which did, re- did have some songs from this record, but that were re-recorded uh, with Kevin Shirley for the album and then they put out an album a sleep uh, sleepwalking ep came out um 
before this record, which mm-hmm. included some album tracks and then some non-album tracks. Those non-album tracks, you can get them on the Japanese version, which is 14 tracks, as opposed to the uh, Australian, UK, US version, which is uh, 12 tracks. So, um, and the car on the cover, speaking of cars, 1968 Pontiac GTO. Nice car. I can't tell if it's a real car or if it's a model it almost looks like it's a model i think it's a model yeah it looks fake doesn't it yeah well i couldn't tell if they just like like washed out the picture well that too i think it's a model with a yeah a macro lens and a washed out picture yeah very 90s looking like when you look at that album cover you're like that's a fucking 90s album (laughs) (laughs) it is oh like the 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 logo is amazing and uh just just the car on the front the logo i mean what more do you need for a 90s album yeah, sure. Yeah, I do appreciate when bands and whoever there's is in the marketing department actually do come up with a, a cool logo for the name. Like, there's so many bands that just don't have any identity as far as that goes. And you think about some of the bands that you really like that have cool logos, and you're and they you know it sticks in your head. Yeah. Yet, yet they don't use this logo on the next record, right? Yeah, you're right. Oh, they changed. <laughs> 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 but that that was a thing back then. I found each subsequent album they changed the logo, yeah, changed the font, yeah, yeah. And many bands did that. So yeah. So we got some comments over at Patreon. Uh, Stephen Musinski wrote a, a entire blog post, so I'm going to narrow it down a little bit. Thank you, Stephen. He said, "Great pick." My intro to the band was thanks to DMO reviewing Eleventh Avenue on that episode. The single "Drugs" was brought up a couple different times, so I made a point of familiaring familiarizing myself with that song i did listen to mint 400 in full at least twice and i recall liking it but it simply got lost in the overflow of music upon revisiting this through headphones i gotta say i'm all in on this thing strangely enough this is the first time i'm hearing of kevin shirley but based on his resume it's no wonder this thing this thing sounds so slick but it also kicks a lot of ass on a song like Sleepwalking, are you kidding me? I would gladly give my soul to that wall of distortion. There are just tones for days on this thing, and I can't get enough of it. He also mentions uh, the bass player and calls him unreal, a wealth <laughs> of tones, and um, says, at the end of the day, this is entirely representative of that tried and true 90s alternative grunge rock sound. Um, I'm sure it'd be all too easy to cast this off as another cutout bin band that got swept up in the frenzy of the next Nirvana. But for me, this is just a sound when done well that I never tired of. Hence my love for this damn podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he said, I imagine how cool it would have been to see ammonia scream feeder and Finney scad all the, all of the same time back then um, or same bill back then. (laughs) I don't know if that happens, but that sounds like a good bill. Uh, and uh, Richard Sonificate and Ammonia together. I didn't yes. see those two bands together though. Yeah, they sure they 100% played together. Yes, numerous times. Uh, Richard Waterman said what Stephen said in this Kevin Shirley knows how to make a kick ass rock record. The guitar tone on this album is monolithic. Great choice. Um, a most worthy album, Kyle Bittner. This is my introduction to ammonia and I enjoyed the hell out of it. It's a big sounding album with great guitar pop instrumentation. This will make for a fun summer album. I can't believe drugs was a single though. That's by far the weakest song on the album. And Whitney Bueller, I never 
spend much I never spent much time in the past with this album, but hearing it again, it's definitely worthy. Nice pick. Willie Dillon, how have I not heard this before? <laughs> uh I don't know, Willie. Uh, that's that single was, you know, 95. That was all over the place. There, I think there was probably even a video that went along with it in the in the US. So I don't know how he didn't hear of it. That's how did bad. that how did how did drugs go in the US? Was it getting a lot of MTV play and things like that? I, I think it got like moderate, you know, by 95, MTV was playing alternative videos during the day. Like that wasn't yeah. happening at the beginning of the 90s. They were still playing like a lot of, of hair metal and a lot of pop. But like by the mid 90s, like basically all day was Green Day, The Offspring, Pearl Jam. Well, not Pearl Jam anymore because they stopped making videos. But like bands like this and then like the really weird stuff that didn't really translate to an American audience was a hundred, 120 minutes stuff like, like pulp, like pulp didn't really get into mainstream rotation in the U S even though it's got a cult following here. Um, like common people or this is hardcore would get played on 120 minutes or alternative nation, but like, you know, this and silver chair, they were definitely getting played during the day. Right. Jay. Like I remember all those videos yeah, all yeah. day and 120 minutes. That's a, what was it? Like a late night Sunday block. Yeah, two hours on Sunday night. So, yeah, that was like your very much like close to college radio that would take more chances. Uh, Whereas MTV was more in line with like mainstream radio at this point, where you had all these alternative stations playing this stuff all day long. Mm -hmm. So, and if you get a catchy three minute pop song, this is going to be on the radio. So, I know we definitely played it at our college radio station. We might have even played, you know, I, I, well, we'll get into it, but I know we played more than just that song. So, Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Mint 400 by Ammonia. Well, my journey with this was at at face value immediately. It was like, okay, yeah, this is all, you know, alt rock album from the 90s. Got it. Like, you, you mm-hmm. calibrate really quickly. I'm like, this is sounds that first listen, fairly typical of what we heard from the time. The thing that really pulled me in, though, I think was probably the production at first because i noticed myself really like you know getting goose pimples on the when they would go to the loud parts and i'm like what's going on here like why is this different from every other soft loud that i've heard and i started to realize that there's a couple things going on here that that made it special one was it just sounds like it was recorded loud like and what happens if that's what they did is that you get all of this little like movement and like little feedback notes and like all of this like organic stuff going on that just creates mm-hmm. all of this excitement as you're listening to it. So like one of the first things I started to pick up on is like, oh, when they go to the loud parts, you can hear the, the guitar start to like um, feedback a little bit. Like you hear a little bit of like, you know, and just those little things like, like get me refocused on the album and perk me up a little bit like, hey, what's going on? And then it just explodes to this next level of big. So, you know, and it's, it's an album, like, I don't know, maybe one that popped in my mind was like Idlewild remote part where, you know, it's loud and then it gets really, or a thousand, what was it? A thousand broken, hundred broken windows, windows. broken windows. It's loud, but then it gets even louder and you're like, how are they doing right. that? Um, it does, it does that quite a bit. So I, I'm, I think my second or third list and I started to pick up on like, oh, wow, this production is really cool. And that gave me. I think some time to start appreciating the songs more um, too. Uh, so, you know, 
there's some pretty good hip hooks here. I think, you know, vocally it's competent enough to deliver the melodies. So you're getting fairly concise, you know, let's say two and a half minutes or four and a half minute long pop songs. Um, they're, that are well-written. Um, they get sharp, they get to the point. So that was sort of my you know, second, third, fourth list. And I started to get into the songs more and start remembering things and understanding, you know, how they were constructed. But I think at the end, as I really started, got to the point where I felt like I dissected the album pretty well, I realized that this is all happening because the bass player is so good. <laughs> like, yeah. um, particularly on the first so. half of the record where he's he's got this really cool, like round tone and they let mm-hmm. the bass really pop forward. Like the production here is pretty brilliant for how much fuzz is going on. Um, I, we've reviewed some other records where it, it tries to do this, but it just becomes like a wall of like fuzzy sounds where on this record, you can still pull everything apart, even though it's big and it's got a lot of fuzz on it. Like I'm still hearing like a very present round bass tone that, that makes it sound like epically big. And the parts he's playing are really aligned with the, the melody. Um, you know, he's not, the, the vocal and the bass are very much, you know, in sync with each other, which helps, I think, carry the overall ideas of the songs um, a lot. And then that that's what allows, I think, the guitarist just to be, you know, over the top fuzz, loud, feedback a little bit. Um, there's some great little solo sections on this record too, which I picked up on, started to pick up on more and more of, Hey, that's kind of mm-hmm. actually a pretty good guitar solo, or at least a, a little break there that is nice. Whereas in some other bands like this would kind of phone it in during that section of the song. Like, I don't know how to play lead. I just, we'll just make some noise for a while. Like they actually like construct pretty cool little guitar solos that help, you know, just carry you through to the rest of the song. So yeah, I mean, that's some of the stuff I, I really liked. And I think it all comes together because the bass is so interesting, but not like a distraction. It's just mm-hmm. so integral to the songs that then they can just build on top of that and make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's all in service of, you know, pretty good alt rock songs. amazing really his bass his bass sound because he's he's basically just playing bass solo through the whole record <laughs> it just sits in there perfectly he's such an amazing bass player um i'm a big fan of the the bass sound and the bass riffs on this record and i didn't i didn't pick up on it the first couple of listens like i was like oh, okay yeah but then as i got a little deeper i was like wow this bass player is really good like yeah holy like shit yeah the, uh, the the bass line at the end of drugs is just incredible like he's just it's like playing jazz bass like over the top of yeah the end of that song and yeah it's impossible to play i've tried to figure it out i can't do it (laughs) (laughs) do you happen i know you guys saw them do you happen to know what kind of bass he was playing yeah uh gibson rd 
face, uh, maple neck, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, nineteen seventy-eight RD bass. You, you asked. You asked. <laughs> nice. That's sweet. That's a sweet bass. Oh, yeah, those are I'd love one. Badass. Um, and interestingly, Dave, the guitarist, he was using a Rickenbacker three thirty yes. through a Mesa Boogie Jewel rectifier. Which is kind of for someone that's not a guitarist, it's like marrying the tone of like Limp Biscuit and the Beatles. It, it doesn't really make. Yeah, it that's crazy. Paper, but but yeah. then that also makes sense how you get those distortion swells. Like I'm, I don't know what kind of pedal he's using. I'm just going to use an example. Like you hit that tube screamer pedal, and yeah. or or a rap pedal, and and you've got the volume up, but not the gain. So you're going from clean, and then you hit that pedal, and you get that like where it like kicks oh, yeah. in, and then you hit the chord. Like that's that's the ideal of i think every guitar player who wants to rock out is that you could just get that momentary feedback before you start into the next section with whatever you're going to play because it just adds that cool factor that so much music that is sort of cut and paste together cannot do when you're dealing with like digital editing and and stuff like that yeah All all the feedback as well it's just uh it's great through that like the we were talking about the B side to drugs earlier, um, which is called Is It Zoned? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's basically a minute of a song that sounds like an Oasis B side, but then it's just feedback for two and a half minutes. Yeah. Um, it's like they've just left the amps on and left the room and they just kept rolling. <laughs> so it's such a 90s B side, isn't it? So. <laughs> it is, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that's on Spotify. So yeah. check it out. <laughs> um, well, I have to check American Spotify versus uh, UK and Australian Spotify are not always the same, unfortunately, due to various. This is something that has annoyed sidetrack conversation. When all these streaming services went online, Jay and I were like, oh, this would be awesome because there's like so many B-sides for UK bands I've never heard. And now everything will be available. And not only is it not that, but it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to delete entire albums because they don't have the right rights situation. So, you know, that one album that you like by a band, it's not going to be there because for whatever reason, when they change labels, they didn't get the rights to stream it. And now you're going to miss an entire record instead of having access to everything. So it's the opposite of what we want. Before you were were like, oh, I get why this import costs $45 because it's got to be stored in a warehouse and then put on a truck and then put on a ship and then shipped here and put on another truck and stored in another warehouse to get it so you're like when it's all digital just be available nope nothing like that it was weird because you you and i uh released a new single two weeks ago and it's not available in the uk no so darren had to send me like a phone recording i actually got that from a mate in melbourne who so he sent that to you okay sent it over messenger (laughs) and then i sent the garage that's the only way we've heard it it's like what year is this right right (laughs) youtube yeah or Bandcamp. I have to get my VPN working. Or Spotify. <laughs> Let's get LimeWare up and running again. Um, <laughs> Bring it back. So I, I agree with you 100%, Jay. Like this, I think this record is deceptively simple in that you could write it off as like, oh, this is just another loud alternative band that's doing the quiet, loud, quiet, loud stuff. But when you hear what they're doing as a three-piece and, you know, obviously the bass player has been mentioned um, just carrying a lot of the the secondary melodies, you know. They're obviously the the vocalist is carrying the main stuff, but there's so much second. Like his playing is driving uh, the 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 louder parts when, in terms of both like sound and frequency, because he's got so much heft in that bass. 
but then you can also keep like it's not just a wall of bass you can also hear the notes so it's like uh, that's probably one of the best bass recording jobs i've ever heard because of what you're getting out of it there's so much that you're getting out of that tone um and i think i what was interesting is that i read some reviews and people were saying well this song it's kind of derivative of the posies or this is a derivative of that and i'm like i don't maybe that's what you thought in 1995 but i am not hearing that now with with 30 you know 25 years 30 years of what is it 25 years yeah 25 years of listening to more music like you're missing the mark this this is not posies ask this is not uh you know in that same ballpark and it's not even in the same ballpark i think and maybe that is live but i feel like this is a lot heavier than some of the contemporaries from what we've heard in the australian music scene like when i think of of umi or scream feeder or Finney Scat, I think of them as being slightly less aggressive with the distortion. And mm-hmm. this band seems to be more in the vein of it's it's weird. It's a cross between like some of the louder bands, the heavier bands, in terms of the sound they're getting, but there's clearly a pop side to this band. So it's not a, it sits in a strange spot, except for drugs, which is like the outlier song, because it's so catchy and um you know jay and i have talked about needing a single that's sort of quirky by the time we reached the mid 90s like it wasn't just enough to have a good song it had to be quirky in some way and this song definitely qualifies uh as being quirky yeah ammonia's creep isn't it in a way yeah which one are you talking about oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's uh yeah it's definitely you know it's got that kind of creep uh i don't know um uh, what else was going around at that time like uh who did uh sex and candy and stuff like that marcy playground, marcy playground. Yeah. yeah yeah kind of vibe yep yeah so what works best for you two guys in terms of uh it, or, or let me put it this way when you first got the record back in 95 was there stuff that you were immediately drawn to uh, on the record that has only deepened with time or have things developed over time that you have come to like more than you even liked them at the beginning when you first got the record? Well, I was a big fan of Ken Carter when that came out as a single. And I remember buying that on CD single at the time. And just the, well, I was just learning how to play guitar at the time. And, and that kind of uh, chorusy, phasery sound on the guitar at the start. <laughs> And that that chorus, it's just so huge. It's like, I don't know how many guitar overdubs they did on that, but it just sounds massive. I do remember hearing In a Box, so that was released in 94. So 
as you mentioned, there was the EP first. So Triple J is was my introduction. I've said that on probably all the shows I've been on, but Triple J really was a great introduction to a lot of bands, especially Australian music. Um, then um, Sleepwalker came out, and that's still my favourite track by them. I just love how it revs up and then really kicks in. There's something about that track. And so that was the EP. And then the album was released, and Drugs was the first song. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not really into that song anymore just because I love the music, but I just find the lyrics a bit naff, you know, a bit repetitive. <laughs> um, but I, I'm actually drawn to Face Down, track number four. I just really love that song. It's got that chugging guitar. Yeah, something about that song, and obviously, I I feel a lot of the '90s um, albums they were always front loaded with all the good stuff first. So yeah, you never got a single at track ten. No. <laughs> so <laughs> when you when you look at it, King Carter single, drug single, Sleepwalking was the main track off of the EP, Face Down, then In a Box, then Susie Q was another single. So Susie Q is a massive pop song, and that's for a that great time, song for that record. Yeah. yeah. Um. The only the only track seven is Little Death is the only one I'd trim. It for me that is just so it, it doesn't fit on the record. Mm. It just and I've actually I'm I'm still an iTunes guy, so I ripped all my CDs and I deleted that one because it was just wasting my time. <laughs> See at the time at the time my mum would uh whenever I bought a new CD, she'd always confiscate the CD from me immediately <laughs> and then read the lyrics in the book. And oh geez. I, I can't remember if there are any lyrics in the booklet, but um, when I was listening to it, she'd hear little death and there's all the, the sexy sounds at the start, the moaning and the groaning. Grant, uh, you're she, not listening. She, <laughs> she wasn't happy about that. Like for, she, she also, she confiscated my vi, uh, copy of Vitalogy because I had a reference to bad acid in the booklet. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And I think she took Dookie off me as well. Well, that's obvious. Yeah. <laughs> about masturbation, I think. Pushed her over the edge. <laughs> Um, the thing I think I noticed with a song like In a Box was uh, that gave me like Jawbox feels. Oh, okay. Mm. You know, with that with that riff and and the way he's phrasing, I got a I got a sense of like American post punk uh, DC. I, I'd be curious if these guys were listening to like Fugazi and and Jawbox and and that kind of stuff at all because it just I just got those some of the chord progressions are you can hear like basic bar chord progressions and and stuff but there is some like weird phrasing going on in that song that i was not it doesn't connect to some of the other stuff on the record which was was just interesting to hear it filtered through what what you guys are right i mean there's a lot of pop on this record so to hear a a jay robbins-esque guitar riff uh filtered through a Australian pop band is like an interesting uh, twist that I was not expecting. Anybody else get that vibe? I'm not that familiar with Jawbox, to be honest. Yeah. I've um, heard the name, but I, I mean, I've de- I did listen to an album not that long, not that long ago, but I yeah. don't really remember it. Too. I know I've tried them, but that was a while, while back. So. It, they always reminded me of Swerve Driver quite a lot, especially in the vocal delivery. Okay. Um, yeah. Dave's voice. It sounded like he was trying to get that pitch of, um, forgotten his name now adam franklin from swerve driver yeah and yeah when you hear jewel and songs like that off mezcal head you can kind of fit ammonia into that in some way i think in a way i can hear that like lucky number is it lucky number three that has Mm -hmm. a a swerve driver 
vibe to me. Yeah. In in some respects, the guitars aren't quite as intricate as Swerve Driver, but um, yeah, it def- definitely definitely and and the and the chord progressions and stuff like that reminds me a lot. Less pedals. I did see Swerve Driver in 2019. I swear I saw about 30 pedals. Yeah, and they're still not, <laughs> yes. still not on a pedal board either. Still one in next one in changeover. Yeah, Connect it's like a up. half moon of pedal. I saw them on the. I wasn't born to lose you tour. Oh, yeah. In a, in a small club here in the United States, there's like 50 people. And and his pedal set setup, I mean the bass player's pedal setup isn't crazy, is crazy, but his pedal setup is he had those little micro pedals. And I oh. swear to God, he had like 20 of them in a row. And I was like, how did you <laughs> have that many pedals that are that yeah, small and know what they all do? <laughs> Just a tone sucker. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy but yeah. i guess when you've got that long of a career and you've written based on so many different pedals you just got to have them in the chain so if you need to pop one on for one song that's got to exactly. be there well he had a um a super distort what well, was a boss distortion super feedback pedal but it was broken and but that was like a, a really important sound for swerve driver but, but broken it, in a good way it was broken in a good way yeah. so they've got this sound that kind of like goes well 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 um if if that makes any sense <laughs> and, and it was just a broken feedback pedal and if, if that pedal did break uh, didn't make noise anymore well that that's 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 that sound gone goodbye swerve driver goodbye mm. swerve driver Got yeah play. that's a guitar attack's worst nightmare <laughs> <laughs> who was yeah. it that was saying uh i think it was john davis from lisa memory when he made the the first lisa memory album with the very uh you know swerve driver and, and shoegaze sound part of the way he got it was by running two fuzz pedals back to back like the same pedal so like one would be you know already be distorting the sound and then he'd have a second one distorting it twice as much mm-hmm. and that's how he got that insane amount of distortion and and noise for that that record it's amazing i i did think like a track like small town starts to approach um like a hum kind of you know, oh. space where it gets you know epically big it's instrumental you know, well it's got the dreamy sections this is an interesting thing because i don't know how it is in spot on spotify in the u.s but in the uk small town and burning plant smell were the wrong way around yeah um so huh. so if it's the instrumental one you're talking about yeah yeah actually burning plant smell um yeah because uh. i don't have small town mm-hmm. i have the cd Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying the the US version streaming, the songs are mislabeled? Yeah, I, I'm uh, pretty sure Small Town and Burning Plants more. Uh, the UK the is definitely... It's definitely over here, yeah. It is wrong. It is wrong, yeah. Because Burning Plants is also on the In a Box EP, a different recording, um, but labeled correctly, yes. which is the most important thing. <laughs> did, did, that, did everyone get that? <laughs> so, wow. yeah. It's a small right, thing, so, so, Jay, are notable. you talking about the instrumental? I'm talking about the instrumental, which I guess okay. is burning plant smell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Um, it starts off that doo-doo. With the great bass line yeah, at the, the start, yeah. Open string bass line. But the EP has some has the similar bass line, but it has some guitar ring <laughs> yeah. at the start. But I, th- I find the album version better rather than the EP right. version. It fits with the album more, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Fits fits better. Jay, yeah. what doesn't work for you on this record? Um, his, his vocal is, is okay. Um, I think by the end of the record, I needed, I was sort of at my limit with it. And part of that, I think is the last track, Million Dollar Man. He's really pushing himself, which I can appreciate. But by that point in the record, he has kind of a, 
a very nasally kind of delivery. Wait, you have Million Dollar Man as your last song? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what album did you review? I reviewed the American the, the, review CD. The so oh, do you have okay. Lucky Number 3 on your album? No. No. That was oh. on three. What track number is that? Lucky Number 3? It's number 12. It's track 12. See, that's on... Oh. Lucky okay, number this... three is track three on the Inner Box EP, and I think they just added it to the end. It's on on the US version, but there are, but there are twelve tracks, so they've taken one off the the US. <laughs> what, what is Spotify doing? Honestly, there's definitely an admin. I didn't, see, I didn't listen on Spotify. I, I'm I'm an owner, so I used my CD to to listen to this. That's interesting, and it, and it matches up with Wikipedia. Hmm. I can't remember what was on the Australian version. I don't have that with me anymore. Interesting. Very interesting. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going on Discogs as <laughs> <laughs> 17 versions. Discogs, Darren, we call him. Mint, <laughs> Mint 400. Well, on the, the streaming version that I hope probably most people listen to, uh, it ends on Million Dollar Man, which, yeah. you know, he's, he's pushing his, his vocal as far as he can. And, by that point in the record, I'm like, okay, like I need a break from the, from the vocal. Um, it's not terrible. It's just kind of, uh, he's at his upper sort of range, I guess. Pushing it. Um, sometimes he sounds like Silverchair, I, I thought, um, Ooh. too. Uh, that was one of the, Johnson. yeah, that was one of the, um, you know, bands that it kind of popped out to me. Um, not that that's a bad, good thing. It's just, you know, one of the comparisons I can make. That was um, signed to the same label. Ammonia were the first signing to that Sony imprint, Murmur. Um, mm. And then, so I think Silverchair was the first release. But, but yeah, Silverchair was the very first release. That's right. Yeah. And then Ammonia was the second release. Yeah. Yeah. Ammonia were the first one signed mm-hmm. to that label. What a great label that was as well for the time. So I think many- I mentioned this in the labels that I couldn't join. Yeah. Um, when when you did that roundtable, yeah, I wanted to talk about Murmur because that were very important to Australian music in the night, especially in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, they only existed for what good 10, 15 years. Mm, Fifteen. Yeah. They're not still around, are they? No, didn't think so. Jay, I hear what you're saying with regards to his vocal. I think the thing that I noticed that that sort of took me out of it is that when he would get to a high note. You could really tell he was like in his nose. Yes, he would do this. He would do this thing. I like he would yeah. he would hit this note. A co- it happens a couple times on the record where you could tell he was struggling to get to that point. Which is, I think, if, if you pull it off like once or twice, it's fine. But it, I think he just does goes to it a few too many times. Yeah. Where that's some that's some saying. By the time you get to the end of the record, you're like, okay, I'm tired, kind of done with that note. I need a break. It's that's sort of like it. Matthew Bellamy with all of his big deep breaths before he sings. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Once you hear that, you can't unhear it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the uh, the song Little Death is not great. It's very, well, one, the intro, the oral sex intro is a novelty once, but if, like third, fourth, fifth time you hear it, you're like, okay, I don't want to hear this anymore. Yeah, it's no Rocket Queen. Um, <laughs> and the song itself is just kind of slow and lumbering. Like it's not, notable in any way so i'm with uh, with you darren i would cut that out if i had my own mix of this record um and then there's some other tracks like mint 400 okay you know at the beginning it, it kind of sounds a little bit like super chunk to me which is kind of fun it's definitely faster 
Um, but by the end, I'm like, ah, this this also sounds like a like a throwaway Green Day song. So, you know, there's some songs like that, that, um, you know, small towns. Okay. It's not great. You know, there's a couple songs in here that are, you know, just average or below average. Um, I, I also noticed that the bass tone changes. Like, I feel like the first half of the record, he's using a very like round bass tone and then somewhere around maybe in a box, he shifts the bass tone shifts to more of like a metallic sound. It's got like more sharp high end to it. And it's okay, but I think I like the, like just sonically, I think it sounds better the first half of the record. Um, so I started to pick up on little things like that. of like, yeah, you know, I, I wish if they changed it. I wish they would go back. It would, it would work better for me, but you know, I'm kind of nitpicking. I think for the most part, there's, you know, more working here. That's not. Sounds like you bought a new pedal halfway through the recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the rest of it. <laughs> and, and I also noticed like in a box has got, it's a slightly different style of playing. Maybe I don't know if he's playing. It almost sounds like red hot chili peppers, like the, the bass playing Not not that it's super poppy and like, like over overboard with split slapping and popping, but like, there's definitely a different little bit of a different technique there. So I was wondering if he was trying to match a tone, you know, to that, that playing style. Um, yeah. I mean, sure. I, I think I, I think he played with his fingers and with a pick depending on the song, but this, mm. yeah, that bass intro of in a box is, um, it's quite slappy. Yep. Or really hard picked, but mm. yeah, it definitely sounds a bit more slappy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for you, Tim. Well, I agree with you on little death that especially cause that song is almost five and a half minutes long and it, you know the rest rest of the record is pretty tight other than face down everything is in the like 230 to 350 range so if they had maybe if they had cut that down like cutting out the dumb intro or um just in general made that a little bit shorter i i would have tolerated it especially because it hits right in the middle of the record it just like it's like a dead stop Mm. right in the middle of of the album whereas face down is over five minutes as well and i don't feel that same sort of slow down with the album um i really the only other issue i have is just the vocal every once in a while just got like i said i could hear him struggling like not singing with his chest and and struggling through singing through his nose um which you know that's unfortunately can't do anything about that if like that's just the style of the singer um but for the most part, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I rocked out to this. I was happy to be listening to this uh, just because it's so straightforward in a lot of ways. And I feel like I just haven't had a straightforward rock album to listen to in a in a long time. Yeah. And I just wanted some big distortion and, and some, some, you know, some catchy hooks. Um, they avoid most of the, other than the soft, loud thing, you know, there's no like a lot of, callbacks to 90s 
s- yeah. stuff. You know, sometimes there's drum patterns. You go, oh, that's a very '90s drum pattern, or yeah. um, the lyrics aren't overly like depressing, <laughs> which can be another '90s trope where you're like, oh, okay, we've gone from introspection to just <laughs> pure depression. <Right>. Um, <laughs> so he, he, they avoid that too, which I, which is good. Yeah. And it's, it's only 40. I mean, well, the version I'm listening to is only 42 minutes. Right. So that's pretty ideal for a record length. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. Chopping out little death, it makes it 35 and that's kind of perfect. Yeah. Um, yep. so, so Tim, you, you your CD gets rid of, um, small town. But yes. adds lucky number three. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, right. Okay. Which is interesting. Yeah. Mm. So did, so you guys didn't listen to lucky number three? Is that what I'm... Well, I do know. Yeah, I had the, the inner box EP, but I'm not... Is it a different recording? Yeah, that's what I'm... That's what I'm wondering. Is, but it does yeah. say producer Ammonia and Ben Glatzer. Glatzer. So See, that sounds like that's the, the inner box EP, yeah. Yeah. But that's such interesting. A Recording though, yeah. I mean, yeah. like listening to those early EPs, they're so different. You can tell it's a band that had five hundred bucks, mm. as opposed to the album. They're on Ammonia. Um, they're on Murmur. Yeah, and you know, probably got fifty grand. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely uh it's a, it's a, it's a completely different sounding. Yeah, massively. Thing, but I guess with mastering, you can kind of somewhat match it up as level wise. Anyway, true. Is there anything that doesn't work for you, gentlemen? Well, I've been revisiting. More. Um, no, I'll, I'll give it up to Grant. Uh, I mean, I can't really look at it objectively like that. <laughs> I mean, I grew up with this album, so it's really hard to like each song has a very, you know, a nice place in my heart. So mm. I can't really I, pick something I don't I think, like. Yeah, I think at eleven tracks, getting rid of Little Death for me, mm. it's it's a great record. I I don't tire from it. It's it's over. It's like that's such a great record, isn't it? It's mm. fun. Um, you know, it's it's simple. You know, yeah, for me, guitar, bass, drums. Uh, levels are great. We've talked about the bass playing and yeah. the drumming, and I love the drumming. By the way, yeah, I think the drumming is amazing. I'm normally drawn to bass, but I think the drumming is just—it's so clean. I know that's the mixing, but yeah, I was just wowed by. It. I listened to it twice today, just going, "Wow, big, so big, good, loud, snappy snare drum." Yeah, and it doesn't get muddled. Mm. You can hear each—you can hear the vocals, you can hear the guitar, the, the bass, and the drums all cleanly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Good on, good on you, Kevin Shirley. Okay. Yeah, this this guy's on to something. <laughs> Should get more work. I get, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing with Led Zeppelin and Silverchild? <laughs> Come do my band. <laughs> um, American or is it UK? I think at that time he lived in Australia. Yeah. Because okay. um, famously his son got up and uh, collected Silverchair's Ari Award that year Did when he? they won everything for Frogstomp. Like every award went to Silverchair, it felt like. Where was Silverchair? They played at the end with Tim Rogers. Oh, oh that one. Yeah, they did, they new did, race? did new race by yeah, radio. Burnham, cover of yeah. new race. That was great. Um, yeah. He's born in South Africa. Oh, there you go. And his uh, nickname is the caveman. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> Kevin caveman. That's true. He moved to Australia in 86. There you go. Does it say where he is now? Um, it does not. But he, let's see, Hoodoo, a, lot of, a lot of records here we've, we've either talked about or reviewed. Hoodoo Gurus, Screaming Jets, Baby Animals. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Some, some good uh, good Aussie pub rock there. Yeah. Frog Stomp. <laughs> Interesting. Cold Chisel. That's pub rock, right? 
Chisel. Oh, yeah. Chisels, the old <laughs> Play some yeah. chisel. A band that never resonated outside of Australia. No. Yeah, yeah, it's one it. of those names I've heard. I've never heard a, a note, but I know the name. I mean, you know the, listen, listen to the, like the top five on Spotify, and you'll get the general idea. <laughs> yeah, well, they they tried to break in America, and they wrote a song about it called "You Got Nothing I Want, You Got Nothing I Need," and basically, yeah, America, <laughs> you got nothing, and it's like a two-minute kind of not not a hateful song, but I I don't I just don't think Jimmy Barnes, who's the lead singer liked touring outside of australia i think he just loved playing the pubs mm. of us of australia well he's scottish originally isn't he so Correct. he probably was and done with traveling by wasn't that point. he wasn't charles is from adelaide like born in adelaide like, yeah it's the same like, with like ACDC. acdc acdc like the scottish angels as well. yeah and all the scottish roots yeah <laughs> yeah um if you're trying to make it in america the message is not that we don't need you yeah <laughs> right exactly we, we love to hear how great we are yeah. the opposite is true as well like, <laughs> you want to be a big band you got to break america that's it. that's it i just think some bands just don't resonate like powderfinger was massive in australia yeah never anywhere else no it just, it just didn't resonate outside they come to the uk mm-hmm. and complain there's too many australians in the yeah. crowd <laughs> I remember the, that's right they said can you please bring a uk friend <laughs> we know you aussies are coming yeah they had a short push in the u.s i remember um Odyssey was it Odyssey number five that was the one that got pushed? Two thousand came out because they kind of got pushed. It was like the post Radiohead, uh, you know, era where Radiohead wasn't making Radiohead albums anymore, according to their fans. So they were looking at like Travis and Coldplay and and you know those bands. And I think I think Powderfinger got pushed with them, and there was like Palo Alto was another one, and yeah, um, there was a huge. We could probably do a whole podcast on that, that era of bands. British Sea Power. Oh, wow. oh yeah, what a band they were for a bit. Yeah, yeah a bunch of different bands that like you know had some, maybe one song or two that had an element of some part of Radiohead <laughs> was yeah. signed. It was like the third wave. It was like okay, Nirvana, we got all those bands. Pearl Jam, we got all those. Bands. Now we got to get all the Radiohead bands. Yeah, and then then the then Coldplay became massive, and everyone wanted to sound like Coldplay. So then That's you got Cheer and Breaks and Start Sailor and. And it's still Star Sailor. Yeah, still bands that want to sound Star like Sailor. Coldplay. They didn't do anything ever, apart from that one song. They uh so famously Star Sailor's last album was produced by the guy that died Phil recently. Phil Spector. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Which is weird. Oh, wow. Weird. I, I didn't know I that. Reading an interview yeah. with the singer, James something. Yeah. Mm. And he said he was the most difficult person he'd worked he'd worked with. But loved every minute of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. All right. Job, yeah, James. I think we all knew that. Yeah, that that's not a. That's, <laughs> thus, the, to, uh, thus the murder conviction. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Talk to the Ronettes. Right. Do they know that? Yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's you know we got to do our um, get to our poll here that uh, our folks at Patreon voted on. But let's give our overall ratings on this record. Were the album better ep and decent single jay where do you land where the album uh, like i said i'm only cutting you know probably one or two songs but even as it is it's only 43 minutes so uh, i'm good to go um I, you know i think it's been said but yeah it's just a funny listen it's accessible like you get it right away but there's also importantly you know things that you can pull out the more time you spend with it so you know i can't ask for much much more than that right um I could see if it was like a one note kind of thing where, okay, I get it. 
Um, but then there's, it doesn't give you anything else. And I think because of probably be, for me, because of the production that Kevin Shirley did and just the overall, like, um, this band knows how to put sounds together. Right. So they, they, one of the things I didn't talk about was sleepwalking. One of the reasons why I think that works so well is because he's got a phaser on his guitar, which like puts it in this weird EQ range that opens up all of the space for everything else. So they're like either because of Kevin Shirley or because of their own just experimentation, figuring this out, like they've figured out how to put sounds together that then, you know, many, many listens in, you're still, uh, you know, appreciating and pulling new stuff out of it. So worthy album for me. I agree with you. It's it's a fun listen. It surprisingly doesn't sound dated, and I think that that's like you said. It it has that Kevin Shirley sound, which is big, and they avoid what was it that you call the the muted guitar thing that was on the uh, the Shades Apart record yeah, that we called yeah. out as being a very '90s thing, and and for the most part they avoid that. Um, there's some hints of you know '90s stuff going on here and there, but this is a pretty solid rock record. And I mean, if you can, if you played this and then played like a band like yuck from the two thousands, they're not that far off in terms of their big guitar sound. Yeah, so that is, that's such a great record. That yuck Yeah. Album. And, um, so yeah, where the album for me, I would just drop maybe like one, just little death, probably the one that would, would drop off my 12 song us cd version <laughs> which by the way good luck getting a vinyl version of this because they only oh, pressed it in it. australia and, and it's not been repressed so you're not going to get a copy that's my um holy grail holy grail yeah I, I remember seeing it at a record store in adelaide when i was in high school and it was 20 dollars, and i couldn't afford that when i was in high school and i've been looking for it ever since and yeah. i can't I find it. it's um if anyone listening's got it i'll pay a decent amount of money for yeah. it long long gone but the weird thing is is they repressed the second album for record store day about three years ago and they haven't repressed the first one they've only got two god damn it (laughs) (laughs) do them both like press the damn and if anything min 400 was a more popular record yeah yeah that's what i was just going to ask of the two mid 400 was bigger yeah Yeah. i mean you're not the only one that feels this way was a big single but the album as a whole, I don't. No. I'm not sure how well it did, but not great, I'd imagine. It didn't. It didn't. The songs just weren't as good, and it was overproduced. Um, I mean, I love Dave Fridman. I love his, what he's done with Flaming Lips and Mercury Rare, mm-hmm. uh, all those other records. But I, I just don't think that was a good match, personally. Like Pneumonia just needed a not. They didn't need to jump to you know be REM all of a sudden. Um, they needed to just like you know maybe do something in between in 400 and. 11th Avenue and forget all the like the little loopy samples and stuff. Yeah, Speaking of um, Dave Fridman, he did the production on the most recent Mogwai record, which is really good. Oh, you guys yeah. can check that out. Just gone to number one in the UK as well in the That's album right. charts, the mainstream yeah. album charts. That's crazy. <laughs> what? Which is mad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know how many people are buying records at the moment with all the stores closed. Sure. So that's probably help. Like, but. Oh. It's amazing. Like, they can't believe it either. Like, they've been posting. Stuart Braithwaite's just that's been right. posting about that. Like, yeah, right. they're, they're in the <laughs> studio and yeah. they hit up a sign. Yeah, they've Same got things. they've got the, the number one. Oh, that's it. They have the number one pluck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on uh, and of course, I'm going to assume a, a worthy album from both of you. That's, that's oh, yeah. not an in dispute, right? Um, one thing I didn't mention was yet yeah, drugs was really overplayed in Australia. And it's, I know it's the go-to song, but I'm glad the album wasn't built around that. 
like there are some other great tracks you know ken carter and we've talked about sleepwalking face down suzy q you know yeah in a box so i'm glad i i reckon the album if it was built around that song we wouldn't be talking about it today it would be lost in the 90s mm. yeah well you needed that one big single yeah and I, get it. I, I get it was catchy and, and to build the rest of the singles I, off yeah. as well but i also feel in the 90s as soon as you said drugs it was he 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 drugs you know and yeah so you, you liked it and your parents didn't well when i was so, 12 yeah yeah which made you like it even more because your parents said you're not listening to this yeah i, I think exactly. it as well and and uh i don't know if you guys know about the tv show that was in australia at the time called recovery which was three hours of live music every Saturday morning for wow. about three years. Um, and Ammonia were on there quite a few times. And all those Australian bands, something for Kate and Regurgitator and Spider Bait. Magic Dirt. All of them. Etc. Et um, they were all on it, yeah. And it, it was such an amazing show. And that did so much for Australian music. Because yeah. then following, was it following on from that? We had the Home Bake Festival, which was all Australian bands. That's right. You know, 20,000, 30,000 kids in a field just you know, moshing music. to Aussie music. It was, yeah. it was such an amazing time to be alive and I was a little bit too young to fully appreciate it. But I'd wake up for that. A, a lot of people did. It was very influential, that, yeah. that TV show. Yeah. Um, and Tim and Jay, uh, it's, it'll be on YouTube, but I know they're not Aussie, but if you, if you search for Recovery and John Spencer Blues, it is the most amazing live performance yeah. ever. That's a, that's a side note. And that goes for everyone listening. Yeah. John Spencer Blues, Recovery. It's huge. Yeah. It, it is the the best live record. Live. <laughs> just watch it. That's all. Okay. I yeah. just realized that uh, Ammonia and Manic Street Preacher should have done a double single or split single with Ken Carter on one side and Kevin Carter on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought of that when I saw the title. <laughs> Wait, what? How's this possible? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, so... Sorry, Ken Carter, was he Australian or was he American? I don't know who Ken Carter is. Oh, he tried to jump over a river, a ravine, and he there was a documentary on him. Oh, was it like a... Um, he, and he, I don't want to... I'm giving it away, but he didn't make it. All oh, right. So like an evil can evil kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah, evil can evil kind of guy, but it just, yeah. Money Spoiler thing. alert. Yeah. Didn't make it. <laughs> but you felt, you felt sorry for him, you know. I never once thought about what Ken Carter okay. means or who that Hence was. Hence the mid 400 car and yeah. Well, there you go. It's yeah. all making sense to me now. Mm-hmm. 25 Although he years wasn't later. 400, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So from our Patreon page, the patrons voted with us. 80% were the album, 20% uh, better EP. So overwhelmingly in the, in, it's like a Putin election here <laughs> with the 80-20 vote there. Congratulations to Mint 400. You have unanimously won the Worthy Album vote from both the show and the patrons. So congratulations. Yes. Thank you, patrons. <laughs> like there was no decent single. I would have off them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody said decent single, which I mean, if there was a an album that, you know, it's built around not built around it, but it has a, a known single, somebody could have picked that, but they they did not. So there you go. Uh gents. Thanks for spending some of your Sunday, I guess, late afternoon. It's for me and Jay. It's it's our our mid morning, mid afternoon, midday uh, here in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks no for problem. having us anytime. And Grant, thanks for listening and and uh, wearing your awesome homemade ammonia t shirt. No <laughs> problems. I thought it's ammonia day today in my house, so <laughs> <laughs> I dress up for the occasion. Um, I need to remind folks 
If you would like to become a patron, you can do so by going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com for just two bucks a month. You can join the union, support the podcast, get a cool sticker, or at other levels, t-shirts. You can pick records uh, once every 12 months. You can vote in our roundtable polls in our 80s polls. Everybody has access to the 80s episodes that we do. And that's where you also can read the box newsletter, which you can have delivered to your email inbox once a week, which has new reviews of stuff like the Mogwai record we just mentioned uh, a little while ago and other new albums, books and uh, movies that are released relevant to 80s and 90s music and uh, website digmeoutpodcast.com is where you go to suggest an album for one of our upcoming polls, which are voted on by our patrons. And lastly, Apple Podcasts. It's where you go to leave a rating for the show if you like what you heard. We love some positive feedback. We are feedback hounds. We are we are we are very desperate for positive reinforcement. <laughs> so our egos are very soft and, and fluffy, and we wow. need them stroked like like a Pomeranian. Apple's desperate for it too. They don't think we matter unless we get positive feedback. Right. So. There you go. Exactly. Uh, so for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Just see.